morning, good morning. So we're going to continue our Shiromon Mesila Sisharim, and we're in the section called Nikios. As I introduced, uh, I think it was yesterday, Nikios, as opposed to Zahirus, Zahirus is an action to avoid certain averos and to avoid certain forms of behavior. Nikios is much more internal. Try to, as best you can, rid yourself both of toxic traits, but equally important, the impact the toxic traits have on your judgment because you tend to justify behavior and you tend to excuse certain forms of behavior because you ratify them because you want to do them. Your desire sometimes gets ahead of your judgment. So when your desire gets ahead of your judgment, it clouds your thinking, it clouds your thinking, you take shortcuts and you say, well, it's all right, I'm doing this and it's not such a big sin, it's not such a big issue because you really want to satisfy some larger or deeper desire. So as I mentioned on yesterday, the three areas in which he feels, based on the Gemara and Bavabasra, that we're most prone to be led by our desires to making rash judgments or justifications or faulty errors in judgment are number one, theft, profit, desire for money. I said yesterday about Chazal, we're so careful in, today, in, in the workplace. Sometimes today people aren't careful in the workplace. They'll learn when they should be working or they'll take shortcuts or... Um, um, They'll defraud their employer by working less hard than they should. I've, uh, you guys might probably be pretty uh, are too too young to remember. Maybe you've seen it. There's a comedy series that was very popular in the '90s called Seinfeld, right? So probably you've seen it. And I, I've told you many, many times that when you decide which media to consume, the filter that you apply can't just be how much cursing is there and how many sexual imagery are there. That has to be one of the filters. But sometimes you have to filter the media you consume based on the values that are expressed in that film or the values that are expressed in that show. So sometimes you can have programs in which there's nothing graphic sexually and there's very little cursing, but the value system that's on display is so antithetical to a moral and religious value system. In some ways, it worms into your consciousness even more deep because you let your guard down. So when you're watching something with sexual imagery or with cursing, you're on guard. You have to close your eyes. You know something's coming that you shouldn't be watching. And when you don't, you relax it all of a sudden. So in, that, in those shows, the few that I've seen, there's a culture that celebrates indolence and lack of work and how can I get away with as much as possible and not going to show up to work and not really put in a full day's work. And, and that's not our ethos. And you can't use religion to justify not working as hard as possible. Your employer is paying you to work. I'll just tell you an interesting story. I'm hoping able to convey it. Ravaran Lichtenstein was once the Rosh Kollel in YU. Now, in YU, everyone learns in the morning till around 2, morning and early afternoon. Yeah, can you believe that? And then they take their college courses starting at 3. Shear goes till 2.30. There's Mincha, 15-minute break. College courses from 3 to the to, to, to 6, 7 o'clock. And then there's night saver. That's the way YU is structured, more or less. But if you're in Smicha, it means you've already gotten your degree and you're in Smicha. So you don't have to take any more courses. You've matriculated. So in the afternoon from 3 to 6, more or less, when everyone is taking their courses, you learn in the Kola. So there are two sections of learning. For everyone, learning goes till 2.30. And then for the Kola, people who are taking Smicha, it's from 3 to 6. So if Lichtenstein, when he was the Rosh Kola for the Smicha students, he was also giving a college year. Which means he was giving Shia till 2.30. And then he was in the base Madrash from 3 to 6, running the Kola. Anyway, and you're meant to end Shir at 2.30, Davin Mincha, and then be prepared for 3 o'clock, either your courses, or if you're a college student, or your Smicha. Now, I heard this story from Rabbi Willig, who told me that when he was in the Kolel, Rav Lichensin gave Shir, but if you knew Rav Aaron Lichensin, he never ended on time. 
He would always end 10 minutes late from when he was supposed to, in part because he had a lot to say, in part because he was training us not to look at our watches and not to be dependent on, not to be dependent on how hungry we are, just to value Torah so deeply that. So he would end share at 2.40 or 2 or whatever the time was. And there wasn't enough time. And you'd think, okay, end at 2.40, Davin Mincha, and show up a little late to the Kolal Seder because you're Davin Mincha because you ended your college year at 2.40. But he wouldn't Davin Mincha because he didn't want to be late to the Kolal Seder that began at 3 because he ended Shir so late, I guess 2.45, 2.50. So he would Davin Mincha Biachidus later in the summer at 6 o'clock because he didn't want to defraud his employer, his university, by davening mincha with a minion and showing up late to the Kolo Seder at 3 o'clock. It was the same institution. In many cases, it was the same boys. It was the boys who were in the morning share who then were smicha students and went to the 3 o'clock share. There's no defraud. He was davening mincha. But he was so careful. I remember when I first, um, when I first went to, to America to interview students for the yeshiva, and I came back, and I gave them the receipt for the taxi from the airport there where I was staying and the person in the back office who didn't really know what America was why is why are you giving me this receipt I said because I have to get from the airport to where I'm staying I have to take a cab he goes oh that's interesting Ravaran has been traveling for the last 25 years he's never taken a cab from the airport so I went and I asked him how do you get from the airport he said it takes the subway with the suitcases now Alex knows what I'm talking about no one in New York takes the subway you, you, it's it's a kind of that get on the subway in New York. No one gets on the subway, let alone with your suitcases from the airport, right? Have you ever met anyone that takes a subway? You get into a cab, someone picks you up. You're so careful about not taking the Shiva's money and so careful about being. So one day, when you're an employee, know that the Masil Sisharim doesn't want you, and he says this explicitly, doesn't want you to be learning on the job. Unless, again, in today's world, the hours are fungible. It used to be 9 to 5, you punched a ticket, that's your job, that's the time you're giving your employee. You're paid by the hour. Today, very few places pay you by the hour. Very few places. It's more project-oriented and teamwork-oriented. And quite frankly, if I were, let's say, a non-Jew and I were hiring someone, I would want to hire a Jew that learns a little bit during the day because I would imagine that it represents a value system that would also make them an honest person and a good worker and a kind person. So it wouldn't bother me. I've never been a non-Jew. But in theory, if I were a non-Jewish employer, it wouldn't bother me that much. Let's say I was a Jewish employer and I hired a Christian and that Christian would read the Bible in a couple of minutes every year in work. It wouldn't bother me because I'm not paying him from every minute nine to five. I'm paying him to be a good worker, an honest worker, a teammate, a cooperative collaborator. And I would assume it's not always true that people of religious background Religious interests tend to be so. Don't take this literally, but certainly, certainly, don't use the time you're supposed to be working the energy and say, "Well, I'm so from going to be learning again by with less." He specifically, specifically comments on that. He talks about arayos. Arayos is something I'm sure you've talked about a lot. I don't want you to feel uh, again. It's it's something that in our world has been. See, the problem you have in our world is you have a window that never existed. And that window has been provoked more than it ever has. People used to get married in their early teenage. I don't mean your parents. I mean, traditionally in our, in our communities, especially when marriage was a good way to prevent. Remember, in the 19th century, there was a lot of forced conscription into the army. So marrying young wasn't just part of our internal communal culture, but it was a way to prevent teenagers being taken to... Remember, serving in the army wasn't a couple of months of coming back. It was disappearing for 20 years to the Russian army and never returning again. But in general, the Nitziv got married on his bar mitzvah day. <laughs> Good way to save money, right? Make one party. It's my bar mitzvah. It's also the wedding. But you got to bring two gifts, right? <laughs> one for the bar mitzvah, one for the wedding. Anyway, so, but they got married in their mid to early teenage years. Today, 
for all sorts of reasons, emotionally and socially. We've pushed off marriage till the early 20s, if not later. And in general, here's a good time, this is not necessarily Mr. Hashem speaking now, but in general, in general, in general, our generation should think very seriously about getting married in that window. Your parents' and grandparents' generation post-Holocaust, they didn't have the financial backbone or safety net to get married before they could absolutely, positively reach their final degree and earn a full living. And that's why when you speak to your grandparents, the thought of getting married in college or getting married before you finish medical school is unthinkable. Because they were refugees, they were survivors, and we lost our wealth. And you're pretty much on your own. When I speak to my parents' generation, they had no one to turn to. As a community, we've generated more wealth. And as people, we're able to help out more. And therefore, the prospect that you'll get married towards the end of college or in the middle of your professional training, there's always ways to earn money. You can earn money being a Valkyrie. You can earn money being a youth leader. You can earn money doing a partial job. You can earn money in computers. You can earn money. And of course, you can turn back to your parents. I don't think throwing yourself on your parents' support long-term it was complete, I'm not going to work a day in my life, I'm going to live off my parents. That's, that's not something I would recommend in our culture, in our, in our world. Other worlds do support that. But if in the beginning, right in Eretz Yisrael, it's perfectly normal. For parents are perfectly expected because army extends the ark. And because no one's going to finish college until they're in their late 20s, so why wait? If, if there's no horizon that you can get married, so you want to get married earlier. So that's why there's a Shana Aleph guy. So people get, get married in Shir Aleph and Shir Beis, And it's totally expected on parents to participate and to help. And it's not like we have such incredible wealth. We do our best to put things together. I just want to break that cultural disinclination. Wow, he's 21 years old, he's getting married. People come over to your parents in shul and say, okay, it's all right, it's not a big deal. I can leave him It's all right. And it's better to get married at 21 and find your way than all of a sudden to wait and wait and wait and wait and wait till you finish your 13th degree and then you're 35 years old and it is incredibly more difficult to get married the older you are for a range of reasons. So as a community, in Eretz Yisrael, the shift happened. In Chutzar, sometimes there are communal codes that make it very disinclined, people are disinclined to get married. It's not, again, don't marry the first person who's going to get married early, but if you find the right person, you'll make it through because as a community we have enough support and in this world there are ways to earn money and you can find ways to live and get by and again it depends if your parents aren't that comfortable financially maybe it's harder on the other hand if you come from a house in which you're not comfortable living there for broken homes divorce homes you have to get married to start your own family as quickly as possible to start your own job as quickly as possible but in our world what has happened was we've pushed off marriage and we've also, we're living in a world that's overstimulated sexually because of the imagery, because of the ideas, because of the way people speak about it, because of the lack of sneers, not just in what we see, but in what people speak about, just the words that are used in the conversation. There are things that just weren't talked about in public in previous generations. You know? so, so being sexually stimulated is not just based on media, it's also based on what culture creates as viable and, and discussable in the conversation. So these things weren't part of the conversation. And that's why you have to be careful. Nibble, pair. Again, nibble peh, this is a longer conversation, doesn't mean curse words. If someone says a curse word, that's not really nibble peh, because curse words have become so preponderant that they don't mean anything, unfortunately. People say the F word. I was, I was listening to some uh, guy yesterday giving a pro-Israel rant. Um, and it, was, it popped up on my social media. He was a rock and roll player in America, whatever. And it was pro-Israel, so you know, my social media knows what media to give me. So I was listening to his 30-second rant. What struck me was not his support of Israel, what struck me was how many times he used the F word. It was, it was embarrassing more than anything else. It was like every third word. I said, do you have the vocabulary? Do you have any other modifiers? Do you have any other adjectives? It's just, 
I was embarrassed to listen to it because the, the level of conversation was so impoverished. It was so meaningless. The entire sentence fell apart because there's nothing. He wasn't saying anything. So saying curse words today is not nibopeh. Nibopeh means pornography, verbal pornography, talking about sexual activity in explicit and open terms, rather than keeping it something private and modest and, as I said, less mature, mysterious and private. And So you shouldn't curse for a range of reasons. First of all, because you're an imbecile. It's, uh, it's verbal thuggery. It's silly to curse. So you should really work very, very, very hard on that as a bentara. I don't think B'nai Torah should have those words coming from their mouths, but it's inaccurate to call them nibble peh, because nibble peh means verbal pornography, ideas and words that express sexual imagery. So we've created this challenge in today's world that we're delaying marriage, and we're delaying the expression of sexuality, which is healthy, which is part of HaKadosh Baruch Hu's world, and during that period, we're even more stimulated. That's what makes it so difficult, so challenging in today's world. And the message you can't walk away from, and I'm hoping that your Rebbeim didn't teach you this message in high school, that you didn't misinterpret the message, you should not believe that heterosexuality is trafe and impure. That's an easy way to try to suppress illicit or ahalach, non-halachic sexual expression in high school. The real way to say it's a gift that Hashem gives, and especially in today's world where, without making any, this is a longer conversation, but it's not automatic that people feel what HaKadosh Baruch Hu, evidently in the Torah, wants you to feel heterosexual attraction to a woman. So whatever, you know, that read any judgment, why, why not? But it used to be, 100 years ago, it was a given. Most males at least expressed it and, and acted in that way. In today's world, it's not a given. So it's even more important not to cast heterosexual attraction for a woman as anything, God forbid, impure or trafe or horrible or devilish or anything like that. It just means that there's a context in which Hashem wants you to express it. The context Hashem doesn't want you to express it. And um, sometimes those messages are a little misconstrued, but obviously you have to be very, very careful what you see and what you talk about and what you listen to. And not just because one thing leads to another, which it does. It's because it creates a, a mind space that prevents other ideas and other levels of HaKadosh Baruch Hu's word from entering. So it's a very, very subtle message that's to be understood correctly. The third thing he speaks about, I don't really think the, the, the third terrible taiva that distorts your judgment and that leads you into faulty errors of judgment is number one, theft and profit and avarice and greed. Number two, sexuality. Number three, machalas asiros. In the 18th century, they didn't have that much food. So, Has anyone ever here felt the desire to eat treif? Here or there, maybe a little culturally, you're in a Gentile setting and the cheeseburger smells great. But you know, you're 10 minutes away from the kosher restaurant, 10 minutes away from your home. So I think the Baruch Shem, especially in Israel, like you'd have to work. Like, go find some tray food. I'll see you on Thursday. You have to go somewhere in Haifa and find some tray establishment. And, you know, are you really tray or you just don't have a hachshir because you're up on Shabbos? You have to, like, grill the store owner. Well, I need kasher. Like, go find tray food in Israel. Or for that matter, go find, you know, most of you live, I'm assuming, in well-stocked homes, with, especially in fridge and, and freezer. So even if you live in a far-off district of South Africa, who knows where you live, you get it all shipped in, you put it into three freezers and get plenty of food. So I'm not so sure that that today. I would probably say that we have to work, and it's not as extreme and as acute, we have to work more uh, assertively on just not overeating. I wouldn't call it gluttony, because gluttony evokes the image of a, of a Roman emperor sitting on his couch, eating grapes handed to him by virgins, and throwing up and eating more like achashverosh. We'll talk about achashverosh, but just eating in a way that's appropriate, eating in a way that's dignified, eating in a way that's not overeating. But again, I, I don't think boys your age should be so careful about that. You're healthy growing boys. Eat as much as you need to eat. Don't sit there and say, Ari Tarragon told me to all of a sudden go veggie vegan. No, it's healthy. It's, it's a natural experience. 
but just think about it in life, not to not to eat in a way that that um, counters the dignity you try to maintain yourself with. I remember once, a long, long, long time ago, no one will appreciate this because we don't really know what Brooklyn was, but if you can imagine Brooklyn where a lot of you didn't live, a lot of restaurants, and I was in a school all day, and then Brooklyn was giving maybe 10 or 12 interviews, and no one had given me lunch or breakfast, so it was 11.30 at night, and I was driving to where I was staying, and I hadn't eaten all day, so I stopped in this restaurant, a fast food place that was still open. What's that place in uh, Glen Hazel? I ate in the own Chivuas. The new, uh, it was like, Bergen what? Brew. What? Brew, right. So it was a little like Bergen brew, brew, but a little less upscale. Let's put it that way, if you can imagine. So I come into the room, and I ordered my hamburger and my fries, and I sat down. It was 11.30 at night. And I'm telling you, it's just the way people were sitting and eating. It was like, uh, I guess, the bar scene in Star Wars. <laughs> Monsters and ogres and people sitting with their feet on the table and throwing fries in the air, eating them. And I just, I remember that moment. I took my hamburger. I hadn't eaten all day. I threw it in the garbage, and I took my thing in the garbage and said, I'd rather go home with an empty stomach, but with my dignity. Because I knew if I was going to eat there, it's just I would lose my dignity. And some things are more important than my stomach. So I'll go to sleep hungry tonight, and I'll just maintain my dignity. I'm not going to sit there and eat food when people are just disrespecting themselves and me. So just be careful about you know, eating in a way that you can walk away feeling not just full, but feeling that you're... And, and you know there are times that sometimes you eat and you eat in ways that you say, wait a second, I don't feel really good about myself. So just try to factor in it a little bit again. I don't want you to walk away and say, I have to be careful. All of a sudden, go down now and sit there. You know, ask the English boys how many forks and spoons to put on each side of the plate. Just be a proper English setting. Eat, enjoy, but just think about that aspect. Next week, we'll start talking about the midos that distort your judgment. These are the activities that distort your judgment. Tomorrow is Fasemes. Thursday is Rashi, and Friday is a special grab bag. Okay? Have a good day, everyone.